Hello and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This episode is quite the honor for me to have done because it is with somebody that I consider to be a real legend in both the music and podcasting space, and that is Shane Told from Silverstein and Lead Singer Syndrome. I really, really respect what he does, both in music and podcasting. He started Lead Singer Syndrome in 2015. And if you think about that, yes, podcasts have been around for longer than that, but were you listening to podcasts in 2015? Because I wasn't. And that's something that we talk about in this episode is Silverstein, Shane himself, Lead Singer Syndrome, have all kind of been ahead of the curve in a certain way while staying very true to his and their roots as a collective. And it was really fun to talk to him about exactly that. The first half of this episode, we talk all about the band and how they've stayed authentic and how they've always embraced technology and what's to come. And that was really fun and interesting. We also had a little moment where I got to ask like the very specific times that the band was coming up that he really remembers. And then we pivot into the podcast and I get to kind of nerd out and ask him a lot of questions about that. And I'm a really big fan of that, you know, making this podcast for about two years now and learning the work that goes into it and seeing what he's been doing. It's been a big inspiration. and It's definitely been a podcast that I've looked to as an example of what sets the bar of music interview podcasts in the space. So it was a real honor to talk to him. I learned so much. He's such a rad, humble dude. And for all those reasons, it made for an incredibly good episode. So with that, let's get right into it. Where are all my friends? This is a really cool one because it is with Shane Told, who is the host of a podcast that started, in my opinion, started a whole <laughs> wave of podcasts in music in a very specific space, but like really <laughs> just a whole wave of podcasts in music. So I'm very honored right now. Like I feel like I'm sitting down talking to the OG of music podcasts and that's really cool that you were down to join well thank you you didn't even bring up my band yet so that's oh, cool yeah I'm, I'm he's more, also in i'm more known for <laughs> <laughs> i'm more known for podcast being a podcast host than a than a lead singer at this point and and honestly i feel like i've done a lot more podcasting than singing over the past uh uh year and a half so hey it's it's all good yeah thanks for well, having me man Dude, that is funny, too, because obviously Silverstein is a very well-established band and you've been at it. <laughs> I think the band put out music in 20 2000. Years, yeah. Oh, yeah. 20 years. Is our, uh, 21 years, actually, is our first year uh, is, is this year. 21 years. It's crazy. Holy crap. And backstory too, like a couple of years ago when I was managing Capstan, you guys were kind enough to take them out on a huge tour. I've seen yeah. you firsthand as a band perform live and like the business and the way you take care of people. So that's not to say like I have so much respect for Silverstein, but I'm really, really fascinated in you as a podcast host. That is a big piece of it. But also, as I was thinking about this before we started, I was like, you must really love what you do because you've been first to so many things hmm. and you haven't stopped. Like so many people will be like first on a wave or on this and a that and have success and then kind of fade out, whatever. But like right. it, you started Lead Singer Syndrome in 2015, correct? Yeah, that's right. It's your the first episode is you with Caleb from Beartooth and you're recording at Warp Tour 2015. You can like hear the That's little right. bus generator hum in the background yeah. and you're like, ah. yeah, I didn't know how to edit that out at that point. 
you know, yeah, it's been it's been a pretty wild ride, man. And you know, thinking about things that happened twenty, whether it's twenty one years ago, starting with the band, or whether it's uh, I guess six years ago with this start of this podcast, uh, it, it all doesn't feel very long ago. It's weird, you know, like I don't feel that old. I don't, I feel like a lot of shit's happened, but I really don't feel, um, you know, like I can, I have a pretty good memory for where I was at. So I think it's a pretty, it's pretty easy for me to reflect back. Um, so yeah, man, ask me anything about that stuff, but I will say this. Um, I was never first (laughs) to anything. (laughs) Um, I, I definitely had my own influences too, whether it was being, a lot of people want to say, oh, he's the first guy to do both the singing and the screaming. It's like, no, I wasn't the first. I was. We were one of the mo- more popular bands doing it at the time. Um, and in terms of me interviewing prominent you know, members of our music scene, uh, there were plenty of podcasts doing that before as well. But um, I will take some credit in, in leveling some things up. Yeah. And I appreciate you recognizing me for that. And... Uh, yeah, man, it's it's been a it's been a wild ride, and I've really enjoyed it. And you mentioned the thing about never stopping. I don't think I have the capability to stop. I think <laughs> I, I just that. I start something, and it's just this is what I do now, and I just do it. And and I I think it's important, maybe for my own brain, just to kind of keep up with it and not let myself down. Um, you know, and there. Dude, believe me, there are weeks when like I do not want to edit a podcast. I do not feel like it, you know, and I just say I, I got to do it like people people are relying on me. And of course, if I if I'm late or I forget one week or I have to, you know, postpone a week or something, which has happened in six years, yeah. I hear I hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> they let me have it. So I know I have people that care and listen to what I do. And, and that that means a lot too. you know, I have that support. I love that mentality. Like you just said that so well. And I feel you on that. Like once you commit to something like not doing it isn't an option. Like you're just like, all right, right, I'm in this now. This is what I do. But like people don't realize like to me, I've timed it. And at least in the early days, um, like a an all in start to finish record, edit, get it all ready. Mm -hmm. Solid 10 hours. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's time depending on how much you cut up and clips and all of that. But there's a lot that goes into it. And to do that every week for years and years and years becomes yeah. something in your life that you really have to carve out time for and you really have to care about. But one thing you said is you were very humble to be like, I'm not first in this. But <laughs> I think like whatever it has been in your career and with where you've been at, you maybe you're not first, but you've been in a position where you can make things more widely known. So like what right. what were the early influences? Like if you admit that you weren't first, what were you seeing? Like before you started lead singer syndrome, before Silverstein or before trying specific singing methods, what were you seeing where you're like, yo, this is it? Like where were you finding those influences? Well, we grew up, I grew up in Oakville, Ontario, suburb of Toronto. And we had a really awesome music scene here. I say had because, you know, it's kind of everywhere where like the local music scene is just not the same anymore. You know, um, bands are local bands, but they're also on the internet. So you don't have the like cool little pockets of music and pockets of sound, you know, and, and 
back then in the early 2000s, there really were pockets of sound. Like you heard a band and you were like, yeah, this sounds like a band from Long Island, New York or a band from New Jersey or a, or so like true. a or Chicago. Something like that. Cool yeah, sure. To- so many different um, sounds within. And in Toronto, we definitely had one. Um, there were there were bands, um, uh, you know, coming up with us. Our peers were Alexis on Fire and Boys Night Out and Monine. They're all from you know, let's call it a, a an hour radius here in the western suburbs of Toronto. Uh, maybe even smaller than an hour, actually. And pretty much all of us really looked up to this band called Grade uh, from from Burlington, Ontario. They were actually on Victory Records. They put out a, a, a couple albums on Victory. And they were, I I would say, for me, they're the first band I heard that was you know, a post-hardcore band that did singing and screaming. And we got compared to them a lot. And it made sense because they were our biggest influence. I mean, they're <laughs> at least my biggest influence. And, you know, I, what I saw, I saw their local popularity and I knew that they'd done, you know, touring and everything. And I just kind of thought to myself, you know, everyone's always talking about how, oh, this dude, like, this dude, like, can't sing or like the vocals are too aren't good or whatever. And, you know, I, I just kind of decided at that point, well, I want to do what grade does, but we're going to spend a little more time on the vocals. And it wasn't that he like, it wasn't like that he couldn't sing. Um, and I love his voice, but you know, this is like back in the day when in the late nineties and stuff where people are recording and like, okay, go in the studio. Like you have a day. So sing the song like three times and we'll edit it together. And that's the best it's going to be. Yeah, and now like I'll spend I'll spend like an entire eight hour session on one song, not even just lead vocals. So like, you know, there's a lot of meticulous work that goes into it. And I think that that was something we were really conscious of was just really making our recordings the best they could be. Yeah. And of course, they're not that good. Uh, and we weren't the only band <laughs> thinking about this. But, you know, in terms of like comparing it to kind of what came before, you know, we were trying to say okay like i'm a fan of this band what do i wish well i wish the vocals were recorded a little better like i maybe what if the singing sounded more like uh, newfound glory and less like bane you know um that was kind of more the the approach that we sort of took um and i think that that was a big part of the start of our band and people were really surprised when they would go see us live and i was singing and i was screaming you know, and it wasn't like, oh, the guitar player does the clean vocals or the guitar player does the screaming. Like I did both things. And that I think was people were like, oh, shit, like I didn't think this was possible because Atreyu has the drummer does the singing or right. whatever other bands were popular at the time. So um, but we weren't the first band in our scene. Like there were there were plenty of them doing doing that. And grade was the obviously the, the biggest one. That's cool, though, that your approach to it was taking things that you were inspired by and then just finding your way to make make the best version of it. Like not being like, yo, we're better than this, but being like, this is so sick. How do we take this and just like dial it? And as you were saying that, I was kind of thinking about what I've seen firsthand with the band and like thinking about Paul and like the attention to detail that goes into so much of what Silverstein is and that's right. crazy to hear you kind of explain that 
even at the very beginning of the band. Like, it seems like that's been a through line of the entire band, huh? I guess so. I think in the early days, though, we were not as serious and not as professional. And we certainly didn't know anything about how the music industry worked. Um, You know, we were still five dudes from Canada, like getting in our van, just whatever, you know, (laughs) hoping, hoping there would, hoping there would be 50 kids at the show. Yeah. You know, um, that was, that was literally what it was. We, we didn't know all the stuff now that, that like Paul works on and everything. And I got to give him a lot of credit for, he's our drummer and our manager and he's like the smartest dude ever. Um, But I will say back then he was like uh, always ahead of the curve a little bit. I remember this is probably 2000 and we'd written maybe like four or five songs and I don't even know if we'd played a show yet and Paul built us a website. No and way. I was like fucking laughing my head off like what the hell do we need a website for? Like bands bands don't have website. Like maybe Metallica has a website. What do we need a website for? Yeah, like maybe you um, had a MySpace you know, header. Like you had a fancy well, MySpace no, header this or something. Way, no, dude. Oh, this oh, is oh, way wait. before social media. But I'll get to that. Oh, I mean, okay. this was like, this was like, like, like I'm talking about like Coca-Cola maybe had a website, but like oh, not even everything wow. had websites. Right. So I was like, what do we need a website for? And he built one cause he was, you know, nerdy like that and still is. And, uh, then, you know, um, and it's especially like punk bands and stuff. Like it wasn't a thing really. And then, uh, when w- later on, I remember, uh, Friendster came out, which was a precursor to MySpace, and we had a band profile on there. And I was like, "What? What? What is this shit?" Like, um, and we were like, the we were maybe the first band on Friendster. And then when MySpace came out, Paul himself was one of the first people on MySpace, and MySpace was so you know primitive and clunky. I'm sure as, as people remember how like yeah. bad the the interface and technology was that because Paul was one of the first people to sign up, he was always at the top of everybody's like friend list. Yeah. It so went off he of started, the date you joined. Yeah. So he started getting like pretty popular on the, on MySpace like right away, you know, him and like Jeffree Star and like people like that. I didn't and, realize uh, he was a part of that. That's amazing. Yeah, he totally was. And he had so many MySpace friends and then pretty much he had the idea. Well, let's put a, band profile up there and we were one of the first bands on myspace therefore we're at the top of everybody's friends list like everyone's seeing us when they're on myspace and you know we were called a myspace band because basically because of that i didn't even realize that because i i remember that era that you're talking about like hollywood undead and jeffree star yeah and uh yeah what was that one girl, uh, Tila Tequila? Yeah. Like yeah. there was like these names that were just like burned into your brain because they always came to the top. But I didn't realize exactly. that Silverstein was one of those. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if we were the top of the top. And and I, I mean, I say we were one of the first bands in like maybe we were like in the first thousand band, you know, something like that. I would say but probably higher than that. But I feel prob- you. Yeah. I, I don't know. But like we ha- already had a little bit of... um you know, notoriety being that we were on victory records and, um, you know, we had had, we had probably sold a couple hundred thousand records. So, you know, we weren't only a MySpace band and it kind of pissed us off. I think for a minute when we were compared to someone like Hollywood undead, who at the time literally was a MySpace band, like they didn't yeah. even play 
shows or have a record out yet. But that, you know, but to to your point and what you were saying to kind of you know circle back, yes, we we were always like, okay, what's the new thing? Like, what can we do to grow? Or like, let's not be dinosaurs. Let's yeah. continue to push ourselves forward. Whether it's building a website in two thousand, whether it's you know embracing MySpace, or you know, or like even with some of the live stream stuff we did this year, you know, we yeah. we we were trying to find the best way and find a way, honestly, just to continue to be relevant and continue to push forward and make smart decisions. That's just been our mentality. Well, and that's something that I respect about the band so much because the side of that that isn't so rad is the people that try to ride every wave and trend and they they aren't authentic to who they are. Because the through right. line with Silverstein is... The music has always, it's evolved, but you've stayed true to who you are. And there's so many people that like turned their backs to their roots and things like that. And I think probably a reason why you have the ridiculous fan base that you have is you've never tried to be something you're you're not. Like you've never done like the full, like we're a pop band now and like done the like radio album or maybe I'm not aware, but I don't think you have. So as much as you've pushed <laughs> no. boundaries and you've stayed with the times, you've also done that in a way where it doesn't feel like you're trying to be something you're not. You're just like, cool, this is the product and we're not old and dated. Yeah. And I'm glad that you've noticed that. And it is something that's important to us. Um, once in a while, someone will have an idea in the band and I'll just reply with the Steve Buscemi meme with the skateboard. Like, hello, fellow kids. Like, there, there's always a certain amount of like, all right, what we can push forward and we can like do things that are current that like, but we, we also like need to realize when we're a little bit out of, out of bounds. Uh, you know what I mean? If that yeah. makes any sense because there is a certain amount of like, we've set certain precedents for who we are, what we do, what we say, you know, um, I don't know how we dress, you know, whatever. Like we're not, we've never cared too much about the image and stuff. So if all of a sudden we really started caring about it, it would be a little bit like false, even yeah. if it's important. So we, it, it's, it's a blessing and a curse that we have done things a certain way. But um, at the same time, one thing I'm really happy about is we've always been very ourselves. And, you know, you look back at, some of the old pictures like sure everybody had a little bit of emo swoop in their hair oh but we 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 did never took it as far as like other bands you know like our our fashion and our old photos are not as embarrassing as you other don't bands. have any members with the loose lips sink ships chest tattoo and the deep v you don't uh i don't not too much not too much <laughs> like of course like that stuff spilled always spilled over a little bit into into everybody and definitely the haircuts were mm-hmm. uh, were there for a lot of us. But like, hey, I mean, Josh, Josh has never wore skinny jeans in his life. Okay. Wow. So wow. There that are, says you know, a lot. <laughs> so there, there are, we do have those, um, you know, differences, I feel. But, but musically, talking about music, you know, it was really, really interesting. Like, I think it was around 2007, 2008, in, kind of in that window, maybe even a little bit earlier, when there was a lot of talk of the death of screamo and the death of kind of screaming in our scene and in our music. And 
I, I was like really conflicted about this because so many bands were talking about it. Like, oh, the new Census Fail record, it's like going to have like no screaming or this other record, there's like no screaming on this because the band, you know, is going to try, try to get on the radio and yes. people can't scream on the radio. Like this was a really kind of um, a big conversation. And my take was like, was like, no, like the screaming is what people like about our band. And, and we have existing fans that are coming out you know, to our shows in droves and buying our records. Like, why do we want to throw that all away hoping that MTV will play our video or or some radio station will play it and then we got to do these shitty radio festivals? Like, I didn't want any part of that. So we kind of stuck to our sound for the most part. And what was kind of cool about that was at the same time we were sticking to our guns and a few bands were really really going the pop route, there was a whole new movement with Rise Records and Devil Wears Prada starting to blow up in around around 2008 and, and Data Remember, of course. And these yeah. were bands like, no, we're, we're playing like heavy breakdowns and we're tuning lower and we're screaming and it's way more metal influenced. And like, hey, this is what's popular now. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad we made that decision and we didn't try to make the like super poppy like we're going to drop the screaming um, uh, record because that wasn't true to us. And I think I was right that the fans did want the aggressive stuff. And 2009, we put out Shipwreck in the Sand, which was our heaviest album. And people people really liked it. And that kind of continued our path to where we are now. Right. Yeah. That's just, it's really cool to hear that because I think of all bands, like you just said that so well, but understanding how you took that approach and how you looked at everything and just staying legitimately authentic to yourselves and your fan base, I think is so cool because here you are now with a career that has lasted through all of these trends and everything. And you still have people showing like literally firsthand. I have seen it city upon city. You still have people showing up like crazy and you've still done such a great job keeping that going. And then I listen to your music and it's still this cool evolution where, of course, right. you're building on it and production evolves and different things evolve, but it all still feels similar. And even like uh, Afterglow, right? That came out in 17, 18? Yeah, 2017. Yeah, Dude, and like that's one of your top songs on Spotify now. So it's like, it's not like you just got pigeonholed into old band like old versions of your music being popular like the evolution has worked and to yeah, me yeah no like, I, yeah. I think last time i think last i checked two of our you know our spotify top five i think two of the songs are from our 2020 album too so you know um yeah i mean we, we've just and that that's another that's a separate conversation I, i'd love to talk to you about too but i think before we before we get to that it is it is really difficult to know as a band that's been doing it as long as we have, what is a good idea, to, you know, and what's like really important to do moving forward and what is like something we need to ignore, yes. <laughs> you know, with whether it's a trend or whether it's a way of doing things or, or whatever. Right. And that, that can be tricky. You know, I think um, our last record, for example, uh, we recorded the drums last. Hmm. And that's a thing that bands are doing now. A lot of bands are starting to record drums last because of the way that records are put together and stuff. And I tell you, man, like even 
three, four years ago, I'd been like, that's no, absolutely not. That's so stupid. What? No. And it's something we tried and it worked really well. And okay, uh-huh. now we're going to do our drums last, which, you know, has, has actually really helped um, with some of the way we put together our albums and our production. So that's like, I know that's a kind of a highly technical thing. No, but, but that is there's a, cool a lot example. of examples of that where it's like, okay, is this a good idea? Is this stupid? Is this going to help us, you know, or or whatever in all aspects of our our band? So I have one exactly. other Silverstein question, and then I want to ask you some podcast stuff too. Yeah, anything you but want, man. I had I had a couple of the dudes from Under Oath on, and. I had this question for them and the answer to me was so cool because I think bands that have been around and had their like real times and come ups, this one, it just hits different. So (laughs) the question is like, did you have a moment, a specific moment where you've been doing the band thing and obviously you believe in it, you got your brothers on the road and it's going, but did you have like one specific show or moment where you're looking at a crowd or something happens and you're like, oh shit, we did it. Like, this is real. Right. We can live off this. They're like, oh my God. Y- yeah. And shout out to Under Oath. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny you asked them that question because I remember their emergence, you know, Whoa. and us together in, in it was to 2004 uh, Warp Tour on the Smart Punk stage. And... So it was. It would have been uh, under oath and us, and from first to last, and uh, the Underminded was a band. You know, Nick from from Sleeping with Sirens, his band, and and there was this sort of scene happening. You know, that we weren't accepted onto the main mainstream uh, <laughs> Warp Tour bands with like all the punk rock shit, which which I love. I'm wearing a fucking Bad Religion shirt. Like I love. You know, I love that stuff. But we were not accepted we were looked at like this, we were looked at as a trend, you know? Oh, wow. Uh, and we were looked at as like, okay, they don't belong here, but like right now this, this is maybe popular and it's all just haircuts and, and skinny jeans or whatever, right? Whoa. But I remember, man, like, I think it was the Tampa uh, Warp Tour, St. Petersburg, St. Peter, Pete's. And that's, that's Under Oath's uh, hometown. That's my hometown so, too. That was like oh, the warp okay. tour I grew up going to. I know that exact yeah. venue. Oh, it's, I it's beautiful. It's that every warp tour was like on the water, like just because I never oh. even thought of it. I was like, oh yeah, wow, that's cool. Oh man. So I, f- I forget the order of bands, but it was, man, there was, and there were other bands too, but Emery maybe. There were, there were a bunch of, you know, bands of, of our moment. So we just packed it out over there. And it was going to be like, I think it was from first to last Silverstein and Under Oath. And Under Oath was playing last. Cause it was their home, t- their hometown. And like, so the crowd just started building and like, you know, we, we packed up. It was like the craziest show ever. Then under oaths going on and this like chasing safeties, I think just maybe not out yet, but like the, the singles have come out or the record got leaked actually on Napster. Fuck. So everyone's like so excited and man, like all of a sudden, like there's this, just this more people than I've ever seen. People are like falling into the water you know, oh like God. off the edge of the clip. Like we, yeah. we knew. So I don't know if that was their answer. That should have been their answer um, for when they when they knew they made it. But right after that, we became really close friends with them. And we went to Europe together for the first time. Both the first time us and them had ever left uh, North America. We went over and we, we shared a bus together in 2005. And so those are my those are my homies, man. 
some of my some of my best best music friends. Um, but anyway, sorry, that was a side story. But you know, to to answer your question, I think like <laughs> pretty long into the band, I still was thinking about like what am I going to do with my life. Wow. You know, like even as far back as fall 2004, which is we were halfway through our first album cycle and we were we were on tour with Census Fail and we were playing like, you know, House of Blues size venues, direct support. I was still doing like university correspondence classes in the van on tour. What? Because because, you know, we honestly thought we were going to be like all my favorite hardcore bands, which was like you put two records out and you break up. Whether it was like Lifetime or Gorilla Biscuits or, or whoever, like those, that was what you did. And, you know, you had a little like a like fun for three, four years. And then it was like unsustainable. And you go back to, you know, for me, I would have gone back to school. I was taking science and would have probably worked in that field. And that was like what I just assumed would happen and honestly man i felt that pretty much all the way through 03 and 04 and then 2005 when discovering the waterfront came out and we i remember it sold like 30,000 copies the first week and it charted like way up in the charts and that like to me that was the moment when it hit me that this was real and like sure we'd played some big shows and we'd done like a decent you know i think we'd headlined a couple house of blues kind of things not sold out yet but when that record did that I, i'll never forget where i was i was we were on we were on the release tour um i was in the basement of of uh I said I'll never forget where I was. I remember <laughs> the room I was, but yeah, what yeah. city it was in. I every I venue like just was, becomes the same. It's just like I feel like it was the clubhouse in Phoenix. Actually, when okay. we got the the in the news, and I remember just like reading it on like my primitive phone, or maybe it was my my laptop. I don't even know if I had a phone yet at that point, and like seeing the number and whatever, and like looking around the room to like celebrate, and there was just one dude from like evergreen terrace who we supported and they didn't like us very much and i just i think i just said to him like dude we we just got our numbers back and like whatever and he was like cool (laughs) sorry like i i'm just i i don't know there's like nobody here to tell except you and it's just like the two of us in the in like the green room uh, at least that's how i remember it uh, he must have thought i was such he, like, a, a pompous like a bragging shit. like cool dude yeah i mean I, I won't get into that but but yeah and i just remember like seeing that and it was like it was like it was not real because wow. sure like we'd heard of other bands you know um having big first week numbers or whatever but that like i didn't put our put i didn't put our band in the same yeah world yet i should have but like you know it's right. when it's it your own thing second. it's it just felt different and when when that happened it was it was sort of like oh i think we're gonna be doing more than two albums now uh <laughs> and yeah and that that pretty much was for me that was the moment right there 
That's so sick. That's such a good moment. I'm so glad you have that like down to like that feeling of sitting in the room and looking at the numbers and like you don't like have anyone to talk to you like, oh, shit, <laughs> like have to say it out <laughs> loud. And you're like, uh, you that's so yeah. sick. And also um, when you said the thing with under oath, you're like, they should have said that. I believe it wasn't St. Pete that they said, and I feel like they should have, but it was Atlanta on that same tour and they broke a uh, stage. Okay. Um, yeah. Or Tim's was they broke a stage and then Aaron's was Boston when I think the used or another huge band was playing and people showed up to them instead. And they were like, oh, and you said like that water thing. And I'm like, that's so funny because listeners that don't know that venue, it takes a lot of people to get to the water. Like it's a park side along the water, but you've got hundreds of feet of grass and sidewalk with this before you're getting there so that that says that there's a ton of people so uh all of that is really crazy for me as you're explaining all of these moments like i remember that album coming out like i remember that silverstein album and i remember my friend group playing it so like hearing you explain it and those warp tours and everything i'm just like ah that's so sick i know yeah it's a crazy uh, the the era of of the scene and thinking back to it and and how you know we didn't obviously like i really believed in it and i saw a band like a band like under oath was just they were so fucking good man like the energy that they had and and they just they went crazy every show and you know there were there were bands like that that i just were like okay we this we're onto something here like this scene is not going anywhere yeah this isn't going to be some flash in the pan thing that like in a in a few years nobody's going to care about i i saw the substance of it um and i was and i was a fan of i was a fan of the bands that were talking shit and weren't weren't believing in it and from their perspective i understood as well like why you know why they didn't get it but we believed in it and we, we created something pretty special dude i i genuinely feel that and it's so cool to hear you explain how that all happened and i can also imagine that with what you've explained in the story in those eras and while bands like under oath and all these other bands you're touring with like that was probably such a crazy energy to feed off of like being on those tours and seeing these bands that inspire you and then being able to be the front man of a band and translate that energy like that was probably so insane not to say that that goes away, but just that specific era hearing you explain, I'm just like, what? Yeah, you know, it, it totally. But it's also it's also weird because we still were like young, dumb kids. Yeah, like we didn't really th- like we didn't really understand the weight of what we were doing. Like we were just up there having fun, you yeah. know. And it was it wasn't really like ever looked at as this is like a professional band and like this is our like the word that got thrown around that i thought was hilarious was like career i was like oh. career like tom cruise has a career <laughs> i don't have a career i'm just a dude like dr- like driving a van losing my voice like hoping you know to like win a dollar off my bandmate in CeeLo in the van so I can buy a McDonald's Sunday at the next stop. Like this, this was like, you know, dollar, dollar menu millionaires. It was like, we, we had no money. We had nothing. It wasn't about that. It was just about Holy shit. Like the, these people know our music. Yeah, like, dude, they, these like these, this people went to this, this like person went to a store 
and bought a CD and now they know our music. Like, like that to me was just like crazy. Like I'm like, we're in fucking, I don't know, name a state. We're in Oklahoma. How do people know us in Oklahoma? Yeah. You know, or wherever. It was just, that was really just crazy to us. And that took a long time to register. Um, and, and, and I mean, once we went to Australia and we saw people singing our songs there, it was like, oh shit, okay. Like this, this is like a real thing too. That was another oh shit moment, I think. Just being you know? that far away from home and people still knowing it, you're like, all right, I guess we did something yeah. that, that impacted people. Exactly. Exactly. But like really, you know, it took a long time for all that stuff to kind of register like it would register with me now. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know if younger bands have the same feeling because everything's like out there. Yeah. I don't the know, but is, it's, it's, it's different much now. more direct success or like you see it more tangibly. And it, like, that's, that's another thing is like people are buying albums. Like you, obviously you guys were so first on having a website and a MySpace and all that. And it's not like you couldn't talk to people online, but that era that you're painting, like I, co- I totally get it because I started touring in 2008 And like, it was this crazy feeling where you'd go to a city and it would be far from home and you show up and there's like a line or there's people at this show and they like know the songs or they know your name or something like that. And you're like, what, who, who put you up to this? Am I on punked? Like it it just like, wasn't (laughs) the same thing. So that's really crazy to hear that from your view and like carrying over all the way across the world. Like, damn. Um, yeah, man. I want like it's so there's so much to talk about because you've done so much in Silverstein like dude there's so much but I kind of want to pivot to podcast you now if you're down sure Sure. because that's a whole other cool thing and again this whole conversation kind of like not being first but doing things authentically and like keeping up with the times 2015 wasn't exactly like the everyone's talking about podcasting and did you hear how much money Joe Rogan got paid to do something (laughs) exclusive? Like, I feel like 2000, I was on that Warp Tour and I don't remember seeing any podcasts being recorded behind buses or anything like that. But 2015 me, like, Yes, I knew what podcasts were, but what did I, I I thought maybe you could like learn like languages off of them or like you could hear NPR (laughs) shows aired again if you wanted to, like it was not the same as what it is now. So how did, where did that inspiration come from? Well, I remember when podcasts came out and I want to say I was listening to podcasts as early as like maybe 2008. Oh, wow. Um, I, I want to say, you know, because because like iPods, I got my first iPod in 2004. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that The one and with the buttons. It was white and it had the orange buttons that lit up. No, the generation right after that, oh, okay. uh, I had I had the first the first one that had the click wheel. The click wheel. Um, yeah, the click wheel. But yeah, before that, they had the like buttons in a row. That was the the really super primitive ones. But yeah, I had a. I think it was a 40 gig it was like 20 or 40 gig and it was like dude it was like 900 dollars. like dude, it was they were so, so expensive. expensive but it was like this was like it's like this is the it was always it was so funny too and whenever these things come out like I, I i i mean with the with the ipod for sure but also with i remember the first time i ever saw a sidekick 
Oh my and, god! And my and my thinking is like it can never get better than this. It was the this is amazing. The Motorola Razor <laughs> and the Sidekick. If you had one of those, it was like welcome I had to both. the friggin' future. <laughs> I know, man. But um, and I get so off topic. I'm sorry, but no, I, I, I but I, I mean, it. back in those days, like I, I was, you know, I, I had this fancy iPod, and I was like, what's this podcast thing? I don't know. So I started downloading them, and you know, you download it and you listen to it, and it was like I was like, this is great because. You know, um, there's no internet everywhere. There's no streaming. And, you know, uh, let's say I'm away from home and I want to listen to something about like Toronto sports because I'm a big sports guy. Well, I can download this sports podcast from Toronto and I can listen to it when I'm in somewhere in the U.S. where I can't actually listen to the radio. Right. So that's kind of how I got into it with with like through sports. But then, you know, there were a bunch of music podcasts and. I got to give credit to my friend, uh, Ray Harkins, who does the uh, 100 oh, Words or Less podcast. You know what? He's done yeah, that shout a long out time. to him. He, he, he that, is very OG. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, definitely he's, a, he's an influence of mine for sure on the podcast side of things. But, you know, really, really where it all stemmed from was I was, was hit up by, I think it was Substream Magazine. Wow. And they wanted me to do me and Buddy from Census Fail to do a feature where we interviewed each other mm. for like a, some magazine cover or something. So I said, okay. So I was like, this will be fun because, you know, I know what a singer wants to be asked because mm. I'm a singer. So I'll <laughs> ask him like good questions and hopefully he'll ask me good questions. So it was just through email. Like we didn't speak. But, you know, I emailed him the questions and, and he hit me back with like, hey, man, I like really enjoy this. These are really great questions. Like, thank you. And for Buddy to like, Buddy's a bit of a, don't get me wrong. I think Buddy's a nice guy, but he's not super like upfront and warm in that way. At least yeah. at the time he wasn't. He'll so say for him to say that, for, well, yeah, well, for him, exactly. But for him to say, to say that in that way, I was like, oh, well, he must have re like been really genuine with it. So it, it got me thinking. Well, you know, I do all these like bad interviews with like people that, you know, no offense, not you. How did you get your <laughs> band name? Exactly. And, you know, I just sort of said like, man, what if what if I did something where I'm interviewing other lead singers? So originally uh, I was going to make it a YouTube channel. Oh. And but then I quickly realized, well, that's a lot more work. First of all, I don't know how camera editing or video editing works because i've never done it but audio editing like i'm a musician so i know how to do that and second of all well i don't always have to be in the same room as somebody you know when it's uh when it's a video if it's an audio interview so somewhere along the the way um somebody suggested a podcast would make a lot of sense and i was like yes that's a great idea so i somehow got in touch with uh, a couple people that were starting this podcast network uh, that was called Jabberjaw, and they sort of took me under their wing and they told me they they taught me what an RSS feed is and all that shit, and I learned yeah. from them. And um, you know, they really held my hand through the beginning, the beginnings of it. Wow! Shout out to Nick Nick Bunda over there. Um, yeah, he's not that's... over there anymore, but he's still in the world, and he he was instrumental in in kind of you know me figuring it out and you know i i think even you know from that you brought up that first podcast i did with caleb 
in in the bandwagon uh on a day off on warp tour like i think right away i i just obviously we're good friends and he had a lot to talk about but right away i think that there's a certain magic in that conversation and i've been able to convey that you know quite a few times capture that quite a few times with some other people and it's been uh it's been a lot of fun man i made a lot of friends it's so special because there is this understanding and respect where if you as a musician are sitting down with another musician, there's just things that you are going to relate to more. And you can speak so mm -hmm. personally to so many experiences. And it's just cool now. I think I looked at the iTunes feed and granted, not all of them are interviews, but I think you're up to like 345 episodes or so. Yeah, I think I just put out uh, 283, number 283. For interviews. So yeah, 283 like official one-on-one -on -one lead singer interviews. Yeah, I do right. a thing now. I've done it for, actually, it's the one-year anniversary of a show we called we call New Noise. Yeah. Where um, me, me and uh, my friend Mike Howell, he's like a crazy new music guy. He knows every band, everything coming out. So he makes a top five. Uh, every week so that's something that's also on the that's something that's also on the podcast feed right but in terms of like the traditional you know one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two uh lead singer episodes yeah two, i believe it's 283 was this week with uh andrew wells of of uh, idola and dance gavin dance so um yeah man i've i've missed a few weeks here and there but i've been doing this thing now it's coming up on uh six years it's so nuts because through that, you look at the list of people that you've talked to and you've kind of transcended the scene in quotes. Um, but like sure. some yeah, of absolutely. the artists that you've had on now, it's like it's really become a thing. And that to me, it's almost like the way that you think to Google something or the way that you can you kind of just assume like oh, uh, maybe like a YouTube video. You're like, oh, how, do, how does this compressor work? Like, you know there's a YouTube video. Now in my head, I kind of just know that there's a lead singer syndrome with most bands that I pay attention <laughs> to in that space, right? And then right, beyond right. it. And it's, it's kind of cool. Like, it's become this staple, this platform, this rite of initiation of like, have you done your lead singer syndrome inter interview yet? And like, I remember when like working with Capstan, like when Anthony did his first one with you, like, that was a big deal. So not only do you that's have cool. a rapport and a dynamic with these artists that like you're going to have a conversation that's different from someone else just because you you have this understanding. That's a given. But now you've also created this platform and this ecosystem of like it's another rite of passage. And it's like this because it's so consistent you kind of know your energy and you know like you're going to treat a guest well and you're going to ask good questions. So now as a listener, you kind of have this new search engine of like, oh, I want to hear from this person. Here's a perfect hour where I'm going to learn something that I haven't heard before. And I respect the fuck out of that. Like that to me is like the inspiration. And what I want to do in podcasting as well is like, you just know this entity, you know, you search lead singer syndrome and name and you see it and it's going to be a great hour of this person. And that's so fucking cool to me. Well, thank you, man. That that's really, really kind of you to say all that. And yeah, I mean, you know, out of the gate, people were pretty excited about it. 
And that really helped pave the way. You know, I had, I think in the first 10 episodes, I had everybody from, you know, Caleb to uh, Pierre from Simple Plan to Adam from Taking Back Sunday, you know, um, some some pretty big names uh, we brought up under oath. I think I had both the under oath dudes yeah. and that was right when they were coming back. So, you know, I think I think um, right away I had some success and that really just helped keep it going. And I've always said, you know, even from from the very first days, like this isn't about a scene. Um, obviously, I know what scene I'm a part of, but I'll talk to anybody that's yeah. a lead singer. That's the whole premise of the show. And like people from all different walks of life. And yeah, I've had everybody from, uh, uh, you know, D. Snyder, Twisted Sister to uh, uh, Dennis DeYoung of Styx. Yeah, Love. Um, you know, I had, yeah, Love. Yeah, and, and definitely in a different world. And I fucking had, I had Ace Freely from Kiss uh, for a bonus episode. I mean, I, I've had, you know, lots and lots of different people that, I got to pick their brain and uh, I always, I never take it for granted, man. Like, like I'm, I'm very aware that I am someone is taking time out of their very busy life to speak with me. And I always do my homework and I always do my research and I'm always very appreciative and uh, I, I, I really try hard to do a good job. So yeah. Um, Have you personally like over six years, like, Talk about Silverstein always advancing and always trying to be at the, not the front, like you're not trying to be that band, but like you embrace the future and you, you, you have those things. Do you find that you've learned like a ton off of talking to people so consistently? Like that's been a pattern now where I think about things differently. Every time I interview somebody, I'm like, damn, like I feel like I get like one little nugget. Right. Do you feel that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, I think what, what it's done mostly is I start to realize that so many people are the same. And my one of one of the most interesting tidbits about doing a show like Lead Singer Syndrome with Shane Told is that nobody considers themselves a lead singer. Every single singer in a band was something else and like could like no one someone like either left the band couldn't sing so they jumped in or whatever but like every single person's like well i'm I'm a drummer it's like no no <laughs> motherfucker you're a singer but, well no well you know i like I'm, I'm a drummer though i'm a drummer first and like now i just i guess i like sort of say i'm like no you're a singer like you know or well you know i started playing guitar it's like you know and, and it's the same story like i we started a band and I was the only person in the room that could remotely carry a tune. So I started singing and here I am, but I don't feel like a lead singer. And yeah. I feel like that is such an interesting um, thing. And I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm not, I'm a guitar player. Look how many fucking guitars I have behind me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't <laughs> consider myself a lead singer. And I mean, even Pierre from simple plan is like episode, maybe episode like two or in the top in the first five, he said, I'm not a lead singer. Direct quote. I'm not a lead singer. It's like, wow. Yes, you are. That's yes, so are. funny. And you're good. And it's a it, so to me, like that is such a interesting narrative that's come up over and over again. That's like sort of taught me that I'm not alone in feeling somewhat of maybe not a feeling like a fraud, but I think many people that are professionals in in different fields definitely feel that way and it's made me more comfortable 
in my own skin. And I think I'm sure a lot of people that have listened to the podcast have, have, have taken that away from it too, which yeah. I think is kind of important, you know? I've, I've felt a similar, so like mine obviously isn't just lead singers, but it's, you know, people in music, basically the through line being, if you've had a successful career doing something you love, like kind of that come up story and mostly in music, but can be like entrepreneurial. And the through line that I've found is it's pretty much everyone that doesn't, they, it's kind of this feeling of like, I don't have it all figured out. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not like I had this master plan and I did this, this and this, like, it's this thing of like, well, I found something that I like doing and then I kept doing it. But like, there is this very humble feeling of like, I'm still figuring it out kind of thing. Like, I don't, I don't have this whole thing master planned out. I know, especially yeah, in the music industry. It's like so funny how few people really understand like how publishing works. Like, you know, yeah. do I, I've been doing this for 21 years. Do I know every single thing there is to know about publishing? Hell no. Right. I'll learn, I learn something every month or whatever about that aspect of it because there's so much out there and and i think like yeah there's so many people in our industry that like just truly don't have it figured out that are doing it every day and that's a very great way uh great way i see i say great in the wrong way a a a, a real way to kind of feel inferior Mm. or feel like maybe you're not good enough or you're not on the same level as other people and yeah, man, the, the longer I learn, the more I realize that no one knows what the fuck they're doing. But you can also flip that narrative and make it encouraging, right? Where you understand that and then you feel like less of an imposter because you're like, okay, if everybody doesn't really know and they're figuring it out, then like I can come play ball and figure it out too. And yeah. I think that that can be the encouraging flip side of that. It's just amazing. I remember talking to, um, you know, you brought up a, about a compressor and watching a YouTube video. And I was doing working on some shitty demo, and I'm not very good at recording, but um, and I was trying to use like a deesser on a, a vocal, and I I'll use a deesser on podcasts sometimes, so you don't get all the yeah, you know, from dude. the from Those the that's spicy. what a deesser does, literally what it says. So I hit up one of my producer friends, uh, and I I said, so yeah, like what's a good deesser, and like how do you set it or whatever, and and I won't name names, but he's like he's like yeah, honestly, I don't use one, I've never used one. <laughs> can't really figure them out like they never work well for me um and i'm like what like you do you are you are like and and that's like the epitome of of like you know not everybody even people in the top top roles don't always know everything Dude, or have it all figured out but there's so many aspects point. to everything you do I, cause I ran into that. Like I didn't know anything. I had never opened a DAW before a podcast. So I was like, Oh, here we oh, go. Yeah. And I figured mm-hmm. that every friend of mine in music was like a master producer. And I remember going to friends being like, okay, compression or like this, like basic things. And they'd be like, Oh, like I have like CLA vocals, which is like a pretty common plugin, whatever. And like, right. I just kind of like, I turn it on and then I'm good. Rock and I'm man like, dry or rock man. This is like the two, <laughs> the two presets I use. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But like yeah. that is kind of encouraging because you it's so easy to look at other people and idolize them and just be like, they must have it all figured out and they must have their master's degree and this and that if they're this successful. And it's like, ah oh, man, I just I just click some buttons until it sounds good kind of thing. I know. And I think I know. that's cool. Yeah, it, it it's weird, man. And uh, but but yeah, no, just talking about the podcast and everything, you know, I think people know they can't bullshit me the same way they can 
can maybe kind of like tiptoe around things they may not want to say. Yeah. Because they're, they, they know that I can kind of give them the Larry David look, you know, of like, <laughs> like, you know, uh, they know that I, I can smell the bullshit. So they don't even try. And I think that that ends kind of ends up with maybe a more honest conversation um, with, with a lot of things, which I think maybe sets apart what I do from, from some other interviews and, and just, just the long form nature yeah. of a podcast. And I mean, we're, we're talking for like almost an hour, you know, that's just a lot more interesting things are going to come up when you talk to somebody for 60 minutes than when you talk to somebody for 15 minutes. It's, it's so just the way real. it is. Yeah. Do you feel like, has there been like outside benefits or like something that I was thinking about listening to an episode and you were talking about like the tour coming back and you were able to be like, we're finally like, we're back at it. And you have this platform now where people that care about you, it's so brilliant because you can keep people up to date in so many things. Like, have you found the podcast to be like a, an extreme benefit to just your life as Shane and the band? And like, have you seen cool crossover by building this community? There's been some crossover um, for sure. Like once in a while, I'll have somebody, you know, like come out and they'll be like, hey, man, just like really like the podcast and like this is my first Silverstein show, you know, no like way. it's like, oh, wow. Well, like I didn't really expect that to happen um, that much, but like, I guess so. Yeah, I guess like some people do. Maybe they listen. Maybe they're really like a, a band I'm interviewing. So they listen to um, to the interview and then they, you know, like like my personality or or I'm talking about some interesting story with Silverstein. And they're like, oh, huh, well, I never really listened to Silverstein before. Like, maybe I'll check them out. So that is definitely that has definitely happened and for sure it's like a great way to kind of just say like hey by the way uh you know my band's going on tour or whatever haven't had many of those in the last uh, year and a half but yeah, for sure yeah. man i think it's a it's a really cool it's been a really cool kind of side gig that's obviously maybe become a little bit more than just a side gig um but i mean i i'm so grateful that i've had it over the past uh, year and a half of not being able to, you know, tour full time, I'm thank my lucky stars that I started this thing in 2015, and I had, you know, I have a great fan base, and, um, you know, shout out to all my sinners. That's what I call yeah. my listeners and my, uh, my all access club supporters, and you know, without them, it would have probably been a very difficult last year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's so, so cool. And it's really, again, like for me kind of being the younger one in the space of like my podcast been out for two years, I look to yours. It's like very inspiring because I'm like, damn cool. Like there is enough of an audience there and you have built a community and like that your Patreon platform and all of that. And like, you've kind of proven that the model is like, if you have these meaningful conversations and you provide enough value and put that out there, people will help you and support you. And I'm not at that spot yeah. where it's like, oh, I can fully live off of this. But it's like, and that's not really what it's about. But it's just cool that by doing something that you love and care about and putting something out like that, that that can be there. Like, it's so cool and encouraging to see that. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's the thing is there was never a goal. It was never a goal of mine to like make a bunch of money off this thing. I mean, that was really, it was really just, I thought it would be fun to sit down with my friends and 
like pick their brain and like give some of them a platform and talk about things that no one talks about yeah you know and there was never like a oh i'm gonna do all this stuff and make all this money and i'm gonna be advertising for like you know freaking coinbase or yeah yeah, right you know (laughs) whatever the my latest sponsor is and um Coinbase is awesome. And if you want Dude, to use sick. promo code uh, LSS, Dude, you can get $5 in free Bitcoin. Coinbase.com slash LSS. how many dollars in the next Dude. how many years? Dude, they're saying Bitcoin could, could hit 100 grand by the end of the year. I don't know, but I got that, I got some Bitcoin. I'm just saying, um, Coinbase, that $5, that's about to be $10. Let's go. Hey, right? So, <laughs> no, but, but in all seriousness, man, I, I think obviously this has like evolved into this and um, but there was never like this big grand scheme of whatever. And and I think it was a good, oof, it must have been a good two years before I like really saw a dime from, from this thing. And, um, you know, and that's fine. You know, it was, uh, it was, you know, it, it was never the, the purpose of it. And, um, but I'm, I'm very grateful for that supplementary income right now, man. I'll be honest. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's it's really cool. It's really encouraging because again, I'm at that two year mark, and it's like the money and time you put in is so much more like than the. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least at my level, like the very small level of like Patreon support or anything like that. But it's like I don't really view that as discouraging. I think when you get into the rhythm of this and you do it, it becomes something bigger than that, and it just becomes like, oh wow, like I get to have this amazing conversation with someone like yourself every week and learn something new. And then put yeah. that out and know that other people are listening and that, that that's p- potentially helping other people and their careers and all that. And like super fulfilling. And I would have to imagine you feel the exact same way because you've been doing it for six friggin' years. Yeah, I do. I do, man. And um, yeah, I, I just sick. I've I've really tried hard not not to let myself get jaded and and, you know, just just enjoy enjoy it the same way I enjoyed it from that very first conversation. And, um, you know, next week, um, talking to Phil from Whitechapel, like I'm excited about that one. Um, there's so many great, great guests in the queue and always some big guests that I'm working on. Uh, like I got Jesse from kill switch. He's going to be joining Yo. me next week. Like, man, I got so many questions for that guy. Yeah. You know, like how long they've been doing it like one of the original metalcore bands and yeah. then he left the band and then he came back like man there's just so many so i am like i still feel just thinking about that like i cannot wait to start like doing my research and like writing my questions and and you know and preparing for that because i still really am passionate about you know telling people's stories yeah that's so cool you say that like i feel the same way as like again it's not just lead singers here but any guests that I have on, I don't really care like following or where you came from or this or association, whatever. It's just like, do I genuinely fuck with your story? Like, am I genuinely excited? Cause I have to sit here and mm-hmm. talk and ask all these questions, but it's like so fun being genuinely interested in wanting to hear these stories. Cause you're just like, yo, wait, but like, what about this? So the fact that you still have that is so cool. Do you, are you at a point mm-hmm. now where the name of the podcast is enough? Like, do you have trouble booking guests or can you pretty consistently stack it? No, no, I don't have any trouble. Um, <laughs> the, the, tr- the trouble is, is reading and responding to all the emails that I get from publicists. And oh, wow. it's pretty crazy. Like 
I have people hitting me up all day, every day. So, um, you know, and, and the thing is, is like, I'm never, I'm not just like trying to fill the podcast feed with like the biggest names I can find. Um, I'm looking for a compelling story. And, you know, like even just uh, a couple weeks ago, I had this band from Germany. They're called Blackout Problems. You've probably never heard of them. They've never toured outside Germany. But like I read about the band and what they like their beliefs and where they come from and everything. And I was like, yeah, I really want to like I really want to talk to this guy and I really want to spread their music and and word on the band and the band's awesome and like that's fine and could i have booked i mean way bigger artists that are going to get more clicks like sure i could have but that's never been what it's about it's always about finding a compelling story and so many people have interesting uh, uh amazing journeys that have brought them to this point and that's my job to talk about that it's not my job to be like all right like let's get another band that's had radio a radio hit on here so that there's some name recognition or like i've never looked up how many followers on social media somebody had before i booked them that's never factored in not even once into uh into the podcast and in fact i don't even care if they post about the podcast i don't care if they do sure great make like get their fans to listen to it it's fine but that's not going to make or break me and like I mean, I don't do a ton of promotion, really. I I put it up every week on my Instagram and that's it. So, yeah. you know, I, I think the word of mouth is really important for spreading for spreading the podcast. And, you know, I, I probably could do more, but I'm kind of okay with where it is. And, you know, I don't I don't need to like ram it down everybody's throat because I don't expect someone to listen to 283 plus hours of me talking either, you know? Right. Well, you're, you're also building, it's just trust, right? Like when you have a product and you stay consistent like that, you just have a trust of like, okay, cool. I see that he posts whenever he does, you don't need to force it down anybody's throat. And then when they go and look and listen, they know that they're going to get a consistent good product and that is going to have values like that. And there's going to be that there. And I respect that so much. Like word of mouth is the thing. And I don't want to be the person that's just like bunch of ads. Now you're there, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that you, you said that really, really well of like, that's how it should be. Like the product should speak for itself and you should trust that the host is going to have a meaningful conversation and it's not just going to be a clickbait episode. And that's when you have a good sustainable product. And again, that's kind of what I respect the most about what you've built. Yeah. Thank you, man. No, thank you. And that's, I think that that's probably if anything's held back the podcast, it's been that I don't market it all that well. And I, and I, you talk about like clickbait it's so funny, you know, you talk about the, you know, you estimate 10 hours to, you know, put together the whole thing. And, and, um, it's true, man. Like I, I, I just hired an editor actually like less than a month ago, finally, but, um, doing it all, all by myself for six years. It's true, man. Like all the time you put in from booking the guest to researching, to actually doing the interview. And then, uh, you know, getting the files right and editing it and mixing it and mastering it. And then you go through all these steps and you upload it. And then I always get to the same point where I struggle, which is when I have to write the fucking description. 
Dude. <laughs> I the hate fucking description. The description. I never what know say? what to say. Shane told me he's cool. To Trust me. We're done. I don't. What do I. Right? <sighs> I hate the description. I spend all that time making everything perfect. And then I have to sum up an hour or more in like three sentences. So it's it's and, very difficult, and, and that's it's my least favorite part of the whole thing. Do people even read them? I sometimes write that in the descriptions. Like I'll write like the first line <laughs> or two, and then I'll be like, "If you're still reading this, send me a comment." And I haven't gotten anything back, so I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you got to. The way to do it is be like uh, free Bitcoin if you email this link that's with right. subject line free Bitcoin, and then you'll see how many people actually read it. Dude, Does, you got to do something like that. I can't believe you say that though. <laughs> that fucking description. It's so annoying. I hate annoying. the description. I hate it. Yep. I, I uh, hate it. I do massive shout out to Diana, but I too have just started working with an editor recently. And my uh, yeah, another... I know Diana. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Wait, are you thinking of Deanna Chapman though? Yeah, I think so. Mm, this is Deanna. Deanna. Mm-hmm. This is Deanna Elise. Shout out Deanna Elise. She is up All right. next in anything photo and video out of Atlanta, but also about to be the country. Uh, Sweet. Huge shout out. Nice. But um, something else that I struggled with that she's so good at is picking the promo clip. Because by the time oh, yeah, I've yeah. gone through and edited it, I don't like it's I'm over like hearing my own voice and all that. But I just don't know what's actually interesting by the end of it. I'm just like, I wish that everybody would listen to the whole thing. So finding the clip, but she's so good because she's an external set of ears. So I'll be like, anything that you think is interesting, then run it. And she's so good at it. I don't even do promo clips. I think think I've done them here and there. And when I used to be with Jabberjaw, they would sometimes like pull clips out and stuff. I'm sure it's very valuable. Um, I'm sure it's a great way to get people to listen to the the show. I mean, it's like, I mean, people have been putting commercials on TV for how long? Yeah, uh, or movie trailers. I mean, it makes it only makes sense. But yeah, I don't, I don't typically uh, do even do them. So but I, I would I probably also should. argue that you and I are playing a different game at this point. Like because you were there first and you've built such a diehard audience, your word of mouth and that natural fan base is there. Whereas to me, I'm the new kid with way more saturation in the space. So I think that it's like, I have to, like, I have to do these other things and I have to figure out these little finesses and not finesses, but like, I have to be like really crafty with that because there's so much more noise and I'm the new kid. Yeah, you could be right. I mean, I don't know. I think uh, at the end of the day, it's free content, uh, you know, and at the end of the day, like I'll do my best and that's it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to let this, let this, let myself get too stressed out about it. Um, obviously I'm going to take it seriously, but with the content, but like, you know, I think at the end of the day, you got to realize like, Hey, like, well, it's just, it's okay. It's going to be okay. That's, that's actually a great point because again, like it's, I mean, use that 10 hours give or take whatever but like this is this is somebody that has a band this is somebody that like has a whole other life and is giving these people a free piece of an hour that takes so much more on the back end like there can be some extra ums and you can you can deal with the lack of a promo clip or the maybe not perfect this or that and i agree with you and sometimes i get lost in that so thank you for that reminder too (laughs) 
exactly oh man like trying to go through and cut out every um would or like oh fuck no way insane Insane. (laughs) well dude i feel like i've taken up just about enough of your time i really appreciate you doing this because again like you don't have to do this like you took an hour out of your day and i appreciate that so so much and you shared so much and i don't know i I really respect what you're doing so this means a lot i thank you well yeah andrew well thank you for all the kind words and uh just a reminder to people listening to this, if you like podcasts, if you like music and lead singers, make sure you don't sleep on uh, my podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome, with 200 and... What's the actual number? 200 and... Looking for... 83. I was right. 283 uh, uh, different lead singers uh, I've talked to. Well, I've, I've talked to some of them more than once, but yes. let's say 250 uh, different lead singers from all walks of life, so... I encourage people to check it out. Yeah, and I I seriously back that. I was going to ask where everyone can find you, and you just did that so so well. But it's uh, for anyone listening. I'm I would be surprised if you found this podcast and you haven't seen Lead Singer <laughs> Syndrome. But if you haven't done the proper deep dive, I seriously encourage it because there's names that get lost in that like late '80s, mid hundreds, where you're like, wait, what? You talked to this person? So like, it's worth a proper feed scroll to really right. get in there um, right it's yeah it's true i i, I even forget sometimes dude. i forget i had i had somebody um talk to me about this conversation that i had i won't name the band i was like wait i never i never talked to this person and they're like yeah yeah this I'm like oh and then it all came back to me i was like damn i'm starting to forget that's yeah. not good. Um, but I was drinking heavily for a while there. So I'll just blame it on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also cool because like you'll have a conversation, like say it's a band in 2019 or something and they were just releasing an album. Like it's fun to go back now after they've had more success or if things have changed and you can like really kind of paint these pictures and you have these like little timestamps of moments and that's also cool. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So go listen to Lead Singer Syndrome if you haven't. It's really cool. Andrew Seal of Approval. Two thumbs up. There we go. <laughs> there it is. Well, dude, seriously, thank you so, so much. This has been an absolute honor to do. So there it is, the Shane Told episode. This is a real honor to do. If you haven't already, do go check out Lead Singer Syndrome. It has been a big inspiration of mine. I really do respect him a lot as a musician and a podcaster. And it's so encouraging to see what he's built in the six years. And on that note, I want to be the guy that's going for six years and longer. And all those little things of supporting really, really do help. Telling your friends about the show, leaving reviews, subscribing wherever you're listening. If you want to go above and beyond, donating to the Patreon, all of these things help so much. And if you listen to this whole episode, you understand a little bit more just how much goes into this. Like, about 10 hours per episode. Massive shout out now to my editor, Diana. Uh, you, you should put a little clip of you. You should like swipe in your Instagram right here or like something like, like cool cuts of you doing something right here and just leave this in. But the amount of work that goes into this is insane. So for me to keep going, any support is so, so helpful. And I really appreciate it. So if you're here at the end and you don't mind doing that quick favor of telling a friend about it, sharing it on socials, anything, it helps so, so much. Let me know other guests you want to hear from. I'm always responding to DMs. I'm always trying to build more of a community and listen to any suggestions and feedback y'all have to make the best possible product. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week.